You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us this busy week. Uh, we've had big congressional hearings with Peter Strzok. We have a new lawsuit or new documents as a result of a lawsuit about Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Also, big Supreme Court nomination by the president, a home run, justice, uh, or not justice yet, but Judge Kavanaugh, uh, plus some outrageous documents you'll want to learn about over the unaccompanied child crisis or children crisis at the border, these illegal alien children who are coming across the border. We have documents from the Obama administration that shows it was a humanitarian and public safety nightmare Thank you, President Obama. But first up is the big news about Peter Strzok this week. He's the disgraced FBI official who testified to Congress just yesterday uh, in a hearing that was a bit of a circus, a bit of a, it was was crazy. It was a crazy hearing, to be frank. Uh, Now, Peter Strzok is the FBI agent who was having a relationship with Lisa Page, an adulterous relationship, another senior FBI official and lawyer while running both the Clinton investigation, the Clinton email investigation or non-investigation, and uh, the anti-Trump Russia investigation. And emails or uh, text messages uncovered by the Inspector General of the Justice Department showed that Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, and it turns out others in the FBI, hated President Trump, uh, wanted to see him impeached. Uh, They talked about having an insurance policy in case he won, and they also talked about uh, stopping Trump from being president. This is Peter Strzok, the man in charge of the FBI's investigation into Russia, the man in charge of the FBI investigation in the Clinton email server. Now, Mr. Strzok was testifying yesterday, and I'm trying to put aside all the craziness in terms of the questioning and the yelling and the screaming. It was incredible to see, for instance, the Democrats applauding Mr. Strzok. He'd been escorted out of the FBI. The IG found his testimony to be unpersuasive and uh, said that his conduct really brought disrepute uh, upon the entire agency and was completely at odds with the ethics as as far as they went at the FBI and Justice Department. Uh, But, of course, uh, you know, it becomes a partisan battle uh, in Congress So that's why it's up to Judicial Watch and you, honest viewers, to kind of cut through it all and figure out what what really went on. So Peter Strzok confirmed he wrote the text messages. Uh, He says they weren't indications of bias. Obviously, that's not believable. But he did say that the documents or the bias didn't impact his investigation. Well, I don't think that's persuasive at all. Indeed, it wasn't persuasive to the IG. It wasn't persuasive to even Robert Mueller, who removed Mr. Strzok from uh, the Mueller-Russia investigation once these text messages became known within the department. Uh, And, uh, of course, Mueller hid that from the American people for four months. So now we know what Mr. Strzok did. You can see from his testimony yesterday, he still hates President Trump. Uh, He's not a terribly credible witness, in my estimation. But what do you do about it? What do we do about it? I mean, yesterday there was a lot of yelling about whether his emails or text messages demonstrated bias. Well, they didn't demonstrate bias. They demonstrated corruption. This man was running the Clinton email investigation, and he was running the Russia-Trump investigation. The IG saw his refusal to act quickly 
on the investigation into the Wiener laptop emails, which contained Clinton emails that they found in September of 2016, they sat on that for a month. And the, he, the IG thought that Strzok's pro-Trump or anti-Trump bias impacted his handling of that issue because he was focused and hyper-focused on getting Trump at that time, talking about impeachment almost, I think, the day after Mueller was appointed. So uh, now Congress makes lots to, lots to hold hearings, likes to hold hearings, but the hearings don't often amount to much because of the process, because of the way, uh, because of the um, because of the way the hearings are conducted. Now you see these hearings and you say, well, that's the way it's always done. No, it's not the way it's always done. Back in the day, uh, and not all. Uh, former congressional practices need to be revived because some of them weren't good. But in this case, they were good. And they used to have on major hearings, you would have a minority counsel and a majority counsel, basically a lawyer whose only job was to investigate the issue at hand and to question the witness on behalf of the committee. So the Republicans would have their counsel answer, ask questions of the witness, and the Democrats, or the minority, uh, oftentimes back then it was the Republicans who were in the minority, would have their counsel answer questions. And sometimes the senior members of the committee, the, uh, the chairman and the ranking member, would ask questions as well. But you didn't have the questions divvied up in these five-minute ridiculous increments that we saw yesterday, which, as you see, is no way to conduct a hearing, no way to conduct an inquiry on behalf of the public interest. Uh, there are some members who know what they're doing. There are some who don't, and that goes for both sides of the aisle. And uh, Mr. Strzok uh, deserved uh, uh, to be questioned in a serious way uh, because of his misconduct was so egregious. And so the circus of the hearing detracted from the corruption that is at issue, which is that the FBI, and Peter Strzok being a symptom of that, and the Justice Department under Obama were misused to target President Obama and Hillary Clinton's political opposition, namely Donald Trump. So you've got this circus atmosphere that distracts from the outrageous corruption at the Justice Department and FBI. So we have this hearing. And what was the goal of the hearing? I don't know what the goal of the hearing was. If I were running the hearing, I would think, well, okay, we already know he wrote the text messages. Uh, we already know from the pre-interview, they did a deposition of him, they questioned him beforehand behind closed doors that he was going to say what he said, which is that the, the, uh, you can't believe his text messages that talked about the investigation in a biased way, biased the investigation. So what do you do? Well, you tie the text messages to specific acts in the investigation that went either for or against his political targets or friends. So with Hillary Clinton, we know the FBI generally bent over backwards to protect her. And with uh, President Trump, we know there was this uh, improper targeting and over-the-top improper use of FISA warrants and spies and things like that. Uh, the other big news in the hearing yesterday was that the FBI, on behalf of Robert Mueller, suppressed many of the questions about key issues related to the Russia investigation. But no good basis. So again, Robert Mueller and the FBI are protecting Strzok, 
protecting the Obama Justice Department, the Obama FBI, and all the attendant corruption targeting Trump. So that's the big news yesterday. And the other big news is that Mr. Mueller uh, didn't want, uh, really didn't question Mr. Strzok, at least according to Mr. Strzok. When the text messages came out, he was just removed. Mueller never asked him anything about what was in them. So if I were Congress, I would bring Mr. Mueller in to testify. It's well past time that he testify about the way his operation is being run, about its corrupt formation, as evidenced by Peter Strzok's text messages with his girlfriend, Lisa Page, who supposedly is being deposed right now. I'd ask him about his budget. I'd ask him about his hires, demonstrating bias. Do you know that Mr. Mueller just hired four more lawyers, not one of whom was a registered Republican? We do know one of them, I think, a Mr. Kravis, is a, a new hire of Mueller. He worked uh, was, as a political appointee in the Obama White House Counsel's Office. So if he's looking to reassure sensible Americans who want an investigation that is not only free from bias, but even the appearance of bias, as Mr. Strzok might like to say, why is he hiring all these Democrat partisans to target President Trump with this gargantuan investigation? Uh, so Mr. Mueller needs to be brought in to testify. And then secondly, we learn further that uh, about this KG, uh, this, this DNC Clinton dossier. Of course, the FBI suppressed questions about that dossier, which was improperly used to get a spy warrant on Donald Trump. So there you've got the deep state FBI, Christopher Wray, the president's appointee at the FBI, who answers to Rod Rosenstein and Jeff Sessions, all covering up and protecting Mr. Strzok from having to answer questions about that corruption. But we learned that key elements of that dossier were uh, funneled to Mr. Strzok from Bruce Orr, whose wife worked for Fusion Chief P.S. Nellie Orr, which Judicial Watch has multiple lawsuits on, trying to get information about that, despite stonewalling from, Congress, uh, from the Justice Department and FBI. So talk about an inside job. You had this Democrat Clinton v vendor, again, Fusion GPS, hired by Hillary Clinton, Democratic National Committee, to dig up dirt on Donald Trump. They worked with Russian intelligence sources and who knows who else to target Trump. And they laundered it into the FBI and DOJ, and we had confirmation that it was laundered through the spouse of one of the Fusion GPS employees. Talk about corruption. Why on earth is the Mueller operation allowed to continue in light of the nascent corruption that was behind uh, its, the focus of its investigation? The very reason for being was to target Russia collusion between a Trump, uh, uh, the Trump campaign, uh, collusion between Trump and Russia. There's no evidence of that. The only evidence that's been generated has been corruptly generated and therefore can't be trusted. But this Justice Department allows the Mueller train to keep on going forward. To the, you know, and to be sure, the day after this hearing that confirmed the corruption in the formation of the Mueller operation, they had a press conference today over at the Justice Department announcing a new uh, indictment. Another uh, 
kind of glorified press release indictment. You know why it's a glorified press release? Because the indictment was against 12 members of the GRU, which is a shorthand for the military intelligence operation of the uh, Soviet Union, or excuse me, of Russia. And they're, and they're being indicted for hacking into DNC, DCC, uh, Democratic Congressional Committee, uh, hacking into and stealing emails and sphere phishing uh, and getting passwords and identities and taking the emails and leaking them through uh, websites like it looks like WikiLeaks and uh, uh, DC Leaks and other uh, front websites and Twitter accounts and things like that. And that was announced today. Well, isn't that interesting? The indictment, and I've reviewed the indictment. The indictment. This is the indictment here. A bunch of cats, 29 pages or so. I think I read it. Yep, 29 pages. No collusion with the Russians. No collusions between any Americans and the Russians. Some Americans cooperated with the hackers, but they didn't know they were Russian. No collusion alleged between Donald Trump campaign and the Russians in this indictment. We didn't need a special counsel to come up with this indictment. Indeed, Rod Rosenstein announced it. Why isn't Mueller announcing it? If Rod Rosenstein's announcing all these big indictments, maybe we don't need Mr. Robert Mueller at all. Of course, we don't need Mr. Mueller to be doing any of this. And of course, this is a glorified press release. You know why it's a glorified press release? Because the allegations in here well, it's actually worse than a press release. Because I know when Judicial Watch puts this press release out on documents, we attach the documents so that people can see for themselves the truthfulness of the release. Now, I'm presuming the Justice Department and Mueller are telling the truth about these allegations, but it'll never be tested in court because they indicted 12 members of the Russian military intelligence operation who are never going to come to the United States and be tried. And if we were the FOIA information about this, and I encourage you to read the indictment because it's disturbing to see what the Russians were trying to do and were doing. It looks like they may have stole voter information. Uh, they were clearly messing around with the Democrats. They were also messing around with the Republicans. But no collusion. And if we were to FOIA, as I said, FOIA for information about this, they would tell us you can't have any of it because either it's classified or the investigation's ongoing. It's an open criminal case. Well, it will remain open forever. Isn't that convenient? Because these guys, they indicted, will never be tried. So Mr. Rosenstein holds his press conference today announcing this. And um, rather than having a straightforward press conference, he makes snide comments and snarky comments about how they don't try cases in the media, on the internet, or in congressional hearings. So a gratuitous swipe at Congress and at those Americans who have concerns about the way the Mueller operation is running, its transparency, its ethics, and its targeting. And uh, to me, this is just uh, every, uh, this is a des another desperate gambit by the Justice Department and Mr. Mueller uh, to show uh, to demonstrate their usefulness and relevance. But don't buy it. We don't need a special counsel to issue press releases slash indictments because this could have been done by the Justice Department if they wanted to. It didn't involve Trump. 
So we'll be investigating this. We'll be asking, you know, we'll FOIA it. We'll see what we get because I want to know the details of these, this alleged hacking. I want to know the details of this alleged hacking. Did they look at the DNC server? I recall the DNC server was not made available to the FBI. It was not made available to the FBI. The Democrat Party refused to make its server available to the FBI as it, after an alleged hacking. They had their own... Um, they had their own vendor look at it, and the FBI relied allegedly on the Democrats' vendor to describe uh, the hacking that took place at the DNC or Democrat Party uh, uh, headquarters servers. How did that work? We have a FOIA about that too, don't worry. So uh, again, so Judicial Watch, uh, we watched the hearing yesterday. I, I suffered through a good part of it. And what is the follow-up? What are they going to do about Mr. Strzok? Now, the fact that Mr. Strzok testified tells you something. It tells you that he's not concerned about being prosecuted. Or he tells, him, tells, him, tells me that he's got a bad lawyer, and I don't think he has a bad lawyer. If he was facing serious threat of prosecution, he would never have testified yesterday. So Congress isn't going to do any follow-up because, you know, there are many things Congress can do. You know, there's been talk, Lisa Page had uh, refused to respond to a subpoena, so they negotiated with her, and she's being deposed today. Isn't that nice? But when, when you become, it used to be, and as I described earlier to you, Congress can hold you in contempt, obviously, they currently outsource the enforcement of that contempt to Congress, to the Justice Department, which doesn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it against Lois Lerner. They didn't want to do it against Eric Holder. So Congress had to go to the court separately and try to do some sort of civil contempt against Holder. That didn't really work out that well. I think they're still fighting it. Lois Lerner, criminal contempt, they never pursued it. But Congress has the power under our Constitution to jail people who are in contempt of Congress. So that's an option. And of course, they've got the ultimate power under our Constitution. Because there's not a dollar that falls from the sky here in Washington without the approval of Congress. So if they don't like what Mr. Strzok has done, defund his position. If they don't like what the Justice Department is doing with the FBI documents and DOJ documents on the FISAs and the Spygate documents and things like that, defund parts of the FBI and Justice Department. So Congress is right to complain when the executive branch shows contempt for its rights under the Constitution. But you need to vindicate those rights if you're going to be serious, be taken seriously by the American people. And so that's something we've been pushing. So, but we're not going to wait for Congress. Judicial Watch doesn't do it. So we're doing, again, you know, uh, the heavy lifting for Congress, as I like to say. A lot of train traffic this afternoon. The um, Judicial Watch just received a batch of documents of struck page emails. So Congress isn't able to get all of these documents. Uh, so Judicial Watch goes to the court and we ask for the documents and we, and we sued because we were given the stonewall. So we sued for struck page communications, emails 
text messages, and we're finally getting them. So these are documents that Congress, as best I can tell, hasn't received yet. But Judicial Watch is able to receive because we're willing to go to court and fight for them in court. And uh, the documents, uh, the current set of emails they just gave us, I think it was only 87 pages. There are 13,000 pages supposedly they're reviewing, but they want to review, uh, give them to us in dribs and drabs, and they want to take up to two years to give them to us. Talk about contempt for transparency and the people's right to know. That's your FBI and Justice Department. But nevertheless, we're getting them in dribs and drabs. In the meantime, the documents show uh, they're laced with profanity. They show that Page and Strzok have contempt for their colleagues. Uh, they curse about, uh, not everything, but they curse often in the emails. Uh, I, don't want to even, I can't even really quote them without ending up having to describe cursing, which I don't really want to do. So we'll go online and look at them. Uh, but they also demonstrate that uh, Strzok also hates the New York office of the FBI. Now, that was the office that found the, interestingly later, after the email was sent, the Wiener laptop documents. Remember, emails from Hillary Clinton's email server ended up on Anthony Wiener's laptop. Anthony Wiener, Wiener married to who? Yuma Abedin, Hillary Clinton's top aide. And Judicial Watch received the documents that were found, more or less. We didn't get the classified information, but we confirmed the classified material that was on there. And the only reason that we found out anything about that, I'm convinced, and, and the IG uh, confirms this in part, is because the New York office was screaming about the lack of action by Peter Strzok. And you can tell that if you weren't in headquarters, if you weren't part of the Comey gang, which Peter Strzok was a part of, they had contempt for you. And so the Russia investigation, the Clinton email investigation was closely held and run by the top level officials in the FBI, which immediately tells you that it was corrupted because that's not the way investigations are supposed to be run. And we now know that Peter Strzok and his gang hated Trump and loved Hillary Clinton, and it helps explain in part why the investigations uh, turned out the way they have been turning out. The other interesting thing about this lawsuit is that uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page conducted some government business on their personal email accounts. And we asked the Justice Department and FBI to ask them to preserve them. They said they would. They won't give us a copy of the letter. So we don't trust what's going on. So we've asked the court for a preservation order to confirm that no more government records are going to be destroyed because that's a nasty habit. We remember Hillary Clinton that some of these government officials have. And this FBI and this Justice Department are opposing our efforts to preserve the records of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. So as you see all that corruption in Congress yesterday or this week during that hearing, you see those text messages, just you know, at the same time, this FBI and Justice Department are stonewalling the release of more records about these two, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, and also they're making it easier for them to destroy records that the American people have a right to see under the law. And again, it's not Congress in court fighting. It's not the media in court fighting. It's Judicial Watch in court fighting about these essential records about the worst corruption scandal in American history, the misuse of the FBI, DOJ, CIA, NSA, State Department, you name it, by the Obama administration 
to target then-candidate Trump and now bring down President Trump through a politicized, improper, unconstitutional, out-of-control special counsel investigation. So, um, some good news this week was the announcement of President Trump's Supreme Court nominee. He uh, nominated just uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, and Judge Kavanaugh is a, uh, a judge here in the District of Columbia, uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals here in the District of Columbia. The way it works is that there are appellate courts of appeal for various districts in the United States. The United States is divided into, I think, 11 or 12 districts. So the, one of the districts is the D.C. Uh, uh, circuit here, which is one of the most important circuits other than the Supreme Court because it handles so many government cases uh, and big cases in that regard. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh has been on the court, I think, for 12 years now. So he's got quite an extensive record. I think uh, Judge Kavanaugh is a home run of a pick. Uh, he is a constitutional conservative. He's got a demonstrated record of adhering to the U.S. Constitution, applying it as opposed to rewriting it and amending it, as liberal judicial activists like to do. Uh, some conservatives are concerned he may not be as conservative as uh, he ought to on, on uh, pro-life and Obamacare. Uh, I just don't buy it. Um, you know, I attended a speech of his a few weeks, uh, was it last year? I think it was last year over at the Heritage Foundation, and I commend to you that speech. It was the Joseph Story Lecture. And his speech, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, had uh, described his approach to applying the law uh, that will make those of you concerned about uh, having politicians on the court so excited. Because his approach is, let's just follow the law, do what the Constitution tells us to do as judges, which is apply the law as written, and very, it was, it, it, the speech shows that he would not only be a good constitutional judge or justice of the Supreme Court, uh, the speech shows that he would be a leader and a reformer on the court in a positive way. And so I think does, Judge Kavanaugh's appointment will solidify a good majority for constitutional decision-making on the Supreme Court. So the only question is what's going to happen over the next few months. So. I've talked a little bit about this in prior updates. The Democrats are uh, making up every argument they can to try to shoot the Kavanaugh nomination down. Uh, and I don't want to answer and address all of them uh, because uh, at this point they don't have the votes. They don't have the votes. And uh, you know, one of the big issues the Democrats have is that, well, you know, it's an election year. Well, you know. It's one thing to have a two-year, a two-term president at the end of his term of office nominate a Supreme Court judge, as President Obama attempted to do with Merrick Garland, and be told by the Senate, "Nope, the American people are going to make the decision," as opposed to in a off-year election, a congressional election, delaying the nomination or consideration of a Senate of a Supreme Court nomination. Uh, just as an excuse, using the election as an excuse to delay it further. Uh, judge, I think Judge Kagan was nominated, well, she wasn't a judge, Elena Kagan at the time was nominated by President Obama in 2010, which was also an election year, and she was confirmed. So there was no delay. So um, 
leftists are going to come up with smears and, you know, there'll probably be threats of violence and, and some craziness uh, because of this violent streak that the left is uh, uh, kind of stroking, unfortunately, within its ranks. But Judge, uh, Judge Kavanaugh is likely to get confirmed. I can't think of a way that he wouldn't get confirmed. Uh, but if you have uh, views as to whether he should be confirmed or not and how quickly he should be confirmed, because there's no good reason that he not be confirmed by October, which is when this new Supreme Court term begins. So in theory, if other, uh, looking at the timing of prior Supreme Court nominations, they should take about two months plus two weeks um, to uh, consider and vote on this nomination. So I encourage you, if you uh, have any issues and want to share your views, call your senators. Let them know what you think about Judge Kavanaugh. I encourage you to learn more about him. I know him slightly uh, from uh, his kids attend the same school as my kids. He's a good man as far as I can tell, but that doesn't mean anything in terms of his judicial philosophy. There are lots of good people who don't share my views on the judiciary. Uh, but when you uh, look at many of his key decisions, I think you'll be happy uh, that uh, he made the president's cut. And President Trump, uh, Trump did the Constitution a solid uh, by uh, nominating uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who, as I said, I think will be an historic figure on the court if he's approved. So some good news there. Uh, incredible documents we received uh, as a result of a FOIA case. And I, I don't really think it was... It wasn't even a lawsuit. We just... Judicial Watch has thousands of Freedom of Information Act requests pending at any one time. Now, we can't sue on them all, uh, but we do get responses sometimes even if we don't sue simply because we've been around and we wait and we wait and we wait. And in this case, we asked back in 2014 for reports about this crisis uh, created during the Obama administration of the unaccompanied alien children uh, wave that came up in 2014, 15, and 16. And Judicial Watch uh, finally received, uh, not too long ago, um, uh, 224 pages of documents containing 1,000 summaries of significant incidents reports that show that these unaccompanied alien children processed during the Obama years included violent criminals, drug traffickers, and human traffickers. Again, these are supposed to be children. And you would not believe what's in these significant incident reports. Uh, and, they're, and I encourage you to go to our website and look at the full release. You can look at all the reports that we uncovered. And so I can only give you a taste of them here. But I'm going to read a few of them here. A male UAC admitted he was forced to kill while working for the Gulf Cartel in Mexico. A male UAC, again, unaccompanied alien child, being cared for, reported he had been an MS-13 gang member for a year before coming to the U.S. So a gangbanger. A male UAC, a male US, a male UAC reported to staff he had been made to kill three people by a drug cartel. A UAC said in one, faci one facility uh, in uh, Oregon, all the kids here at Paso, that's the name of the facility, 
are snorting white pills and that there's some residents that bought the pills into the facility and all the residents are snorting the white pills all times during the day. A female UAC in Florida attacked a staff member with a chair after being told to stop inappropriate behavior towards another female UAC. After being restrained, she threatened to stab someone with a knife she kept in her room. And the report concludes by saying, UAC will continue to work on identifying and implementing coping skills to manage her mood. Coping skills, that's what this person needed. A male UAC at um, a facility in Texas said he worked as a human smuggler, charging six to $8,000 per person. He crossed into the United States. Again, unaccompanied child worked as a human smuggler, smuggler charging six to eight grand per person he smuggles across. Another female UAC uh, was alleged by others to be the daughter of a coyote, a human smuggler, and reportedly was passing information to her father being via telephone from the shelter. So the human traffickers had their people in the shelters reporting back to them about what was going on because those of you who follow these issues know the human traffickers bring people up. They, uh, so let's say a family member pays a trafficker to bring their child up into the United States. The traffickers either uh, extort more money once they have custody of the person, uh, threaten, rape, abuse the child, uh, sometimes uh, violent, in such a violent way where they're like sending back body parts in order to extort money from the family. Unbelievable activity. All encouraged as a result of open borders and an unsecured border. Because it wouldn't be happening if they couldn't get across the border because it would try, they wouldn't, you wouldn't have human trafficking like you have if the border was secure. More. Female UAC at a, a shelter San Antonio attempted to molest her, uh, another child, or UAC. The perp was redirected by staff. Female UAC in Texas, Conroe, Texas, she said she was repeatedly raped on her journey to the U.S., confirming our concerns. A male UAC admitted he was a human smuggler, since the age of 13, 14 for two years. So this, this child evidently was 16 or 17, was paid $100 to $200 per person for everyone he crossed over. A female UAC in, uh, looks like in Florida, uh, a facility in Florida, said she was sexually molested by her guide through her journey to the U.S. A male UAC said he had been a drug smuggler made 18 or 19 trips on behalf of the Mexican cartel since he started. A female UAC said she came in, told U.S. authorities she was coming up with her grandmother. In fact, her grandmother uh, was not her grandmother and brought her up from Honduras to make her work as a prostitute. So, and there's more. There's abuses by government, the people that are supposed to care for them that are alleged in these reports. And they, I mean, this shows that the President Obama and his administration presided, as I said, over a humanitarian 
and public safety nightmare. And uh, they show the Trump administration is right to be concerned about this illegal alien crisis, especially with the misuse, using children as shields to get into the country. And everyone's yelling about separation. You can see why some of these children should be separated from their supposed adult caregivers that are bringing them in. The Trump administration inherited a mess. They need to aggressively secure the border, as you know. And these documents show it. And this is, you know, this is what Judicial Watch does. We give you the truth about what's going on. And the Obama administration was given a free pass by the media on this crisis that I'm reporting to you on that you won't hear anywhere else. You won't hear anywhere else other than Fox News, perhaps. If I, I don't, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember if we were on talking about it. I think Lou Dobbs was talking about it. That's the truth of what's going on in the border. And those of you who are concerned about the rights of illegal aliens, then you need to get on board with us and secure the border and stop illegal immigration. Because the illegal immigration is just a code word for human trafficking that leads to violence, exploitation, and life or death situations for, for those caught up in it. And I won't be lectured, and, and those of you who support a secure border should feel confident you're in the moral right because you are doing more to protect illegal aliens and, of course, U.S. citizens than anyone on the left who wants open borders or anyone on the right who wants open borders. If you believe in protecting illegal aliens, then you want to secure the border because it's a nightmare for them. Now, I know not all of them are... are, are um, uh, we all know not all of them are, are, are criminals and terrible people, but they should not be crossing the border illegally. And when that is allowed, that lawlessness is allowed, they are victimized and are subject to victimization because they don't have the protection of the law. They're involved in illegal activity, which is dangerous. And of course, it puts our law enforcement in harm's way. It puts citizens in harm's way. It's a nightmare. And I hate, and I don't want to be lectured to anymore by leftists and the open border allies in the business community that they're on the side of illegal aliens. No, they're not. They're on the side of a system, an open border system that exploits illegal aliens and harms them. So if you love illegal aliens and illegal immigration. So I think that's a good way to end the update. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, we have a lot more information coming out to you uh, for next week as well. It just keeps on coming here at Judicial Watch. Thanks for your support. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.